What's this week's sport zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, welcome to the show. James, looking to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. I most certainly am, Rob. I had a week off last week, so it's good to be back at it, giving the people of Salford what they want. Yes, missed you terribly, James. The, the listeners were clambering to find out where you were, but it's good to have you back on board. Well, absolutely, and to be honest, that doesn't come as a surprise. <laughs> yeah, so there's loads to go on uh, this week. We're going to start with a football, James, and Manchester United defeated this weekend against Brighton 4-0 away from home. Embarrassing result uh, for all concerned. Yeah, pretty pathetic, wasn't it? Man United, absolutely terrible. Uh, Brighton bagging fairly early, and then in the space of 11 minutes, bagging three more. We completely fell apart. It's a letdown to the fans to the manager, and most importantly to themselves. It was a terrible performance, and that has put the final nail in the coffin of any chance that Manchester United had of making the Champions League. And consequently, that means that the players are going to have to take massive wage cuts, up to 25%, with Ronaldo dropping significantly, David De Gea dropping significantly. And ultimately, the only way to turn this issue around is to qualify for the Champions League next season. And at the moment, I'm not convinced they do that because there's no conveyor belt of players wanting to join our traffic at the moment. This is true, James. What's gone wrong at Manchester United? Over the last decade or, 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 since, or this season in particular? I think over the last decade, maybe, James. It's been a massive problem, hasn't it? It has. I mean, we've been we've been pretty appalling. I mean, David Moyes had a pretty big job going in. I mean, people forget sometimes that Sir Alex Ferguson didn't win the Premier League with the world's greatest squad. It was more of a testament to his managerial qualities. Mm. But it was always going to be a big ask for David Moyes to come in and replicate what Sir Alex Ferguson did. There's a lot of pressure on him. And you're also hoping that those players respect him in the same way that they did Sir Alex. And that's literally just not going to happen. When you've got this authoritative figure in, like the Scotsman, he was famous for his hairdryer treatment and whipping Manchester United into a shape where they keep going no matter how late in a game it was. David Moyes just didn't have that presence. But it set off a downward spiral and Manchester United weren't able to climb out of that hole because Lou van Gaal couldn't do anything. Jose Mourinho couldn't do anything. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gave us a bit of a feel-good feeling, but aside from that, his managerial prowess lacked. And Ralph Rangnick clearly hasn't been able to do anything. But then you beg the question, is it down to the manager or is it down to the players? Because there's several in that team that clearly don't want to play for United. Cavani's been open about it. Paul Pogba's been open about it. Ronaldo's probably going to be on the way out at some point, although admittedly in games he does try. But we need a complete clear out. We need to start afresh under Eric Ten Hag. But I don't know if we can. I mean, I saw a recent interview with Sir Alex recently where he didn't seem overly convinced that Ten Hag was the man for the job. And supposedly some of the players are concerned whether he has the authoritative presence. But that's not necessary. They've got to give him respect. You hope they give him respect. And at the moment, they're not giving respect to anyone. And I don't think the current crop at Manchester United have the minerals to turn anything around. It is a massive problem, I think, James. And I think with it's a root and branch problem that they need to, to, to dig deep and, and get rid of all the dead wood and all the negativeness out of the club. It's We are Manchester United. We shouldn't be getting bogged down doing this kind of thing. I, I think back, obviously, I wasn't alive, which might surprise a lot of people, uh, to the <laughs> to the lot, sort of late 60s, early 70s, when Matt Busby uh, retired and Manchester United got relegated. 
decade, I think it was 73, uh, where they had a, a string of managers which never kind of rebooted the, the club. The, the squad was getting old and uh, they kind of went down into a, a kind of spiral until Tommy Rockett came back, came in when they were relegated and brought them back up. But fast forward to, to, to where we are now, James, this is slightly different because there's a lot more money involved uh, and Man United could, in theory, buy the, buy the way out of trouble. But I think it's more of a culture thing. It's about bringing people in who have the right DNA to, to take this club forward. And if you don't sort out the dead wood, people with the right DNA will just get infect, infected and we're, and we're in the same problem again, aren't we? Exactly. I mean, the star names that were brought in over the past few years, I mean, Di Maria, Sanchez, mm. Pogba even to an extent, they don't want to play for Manchester United. They haven't got that motivation. Yes, they're extremely talented, flashy players, but they haven't got the love for the club. And if you go back a decade to the Sir Alex Ferguson era, you bet your bottom dollar that every single one of those players wanted to play for Manchester United. And without that ethos within the club, it's a constant cycle of no matter who we bring in, nothing's ever going to change. I think you're right. You're right, James. And it's difficult. How do you get out of that tailspin? Because obviously we we need to to, to make this go the wrong, go in a different direction, don't we, James? But... It's it's a problem if you if you're bringing players in who don't even want to play or don't have the right mentality because we're Manchester United, we are the biggest club in the world. Every cup fight, every game is a cup final, and and players have to realise that. And I, I think a lot of players in that squad are kind of Instagram generation that they haven't got the heart, they haven't got the the the, the heartbeat, they haven't got the the, the fight inside them to, to to be a Manchester United player. And obviously there will be a big clear out of of players in the off-season. I think it's important, obviously, we do get rid of a lot. We need to bring the right players in. Otherwise, we're going to be short-handed and lacking quality. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I don't want us to bring in big-name players. No. Who look good on on paper and are going to sell a load of shirts. That's not what I'm after. Hmm. I'm after workhorses, and I want a lot of them. I want to bring in players who view this as the opportunity of a lifetime to grace the theatre of dreams, to step out on that pitch in front of those 75,000 fans and give it their everything. That's what we need. Because I still think we have a better chance of getting Champions League football with that mindset rather than players who don't particularly want to play for the club, regardless of whether they have the talent or not. Workhorses is the way forward. And I think Eric Ten Hag is the sort of man who wants to bring that in. I don't think he's going to go for the flashy players because some of the names I've seen linked over the past few months haven't necessarily been that. He wants to bring in players he's played with and who he's managed in the past and things like that. He doesn't want these ridiculous name players who are going to demand a massive wage and do very little for it. Yeah, because that's the problem, isn't it? It's about bringing the right player in. And, you know, different coaches have different ideas. And is that the problem? We've got a mishmash of players from different coaches who have different styles, who have different ideas out of play. Uh, and now we've got this team of players who aren't clicking, who can't play together because they've got different strengths and different weaknesses. And you just need a clear, a clear out to start again. Completely, Rob. I mean, there's not a lot we're going to be able to do now, is there, at this stage of the season. It's been and gone. We've lost it. You have to hope somehow we can turn this around next season. But if we see a similar sort of team and it's not been revamped, there's nothing we can do. I mean, even like last season, for example, we brought in three great names. you Sancho, you Varane, you Ronaldo. But I want us investing. I don't care. I've not heard a single one of these players, Rob. I want carefully selected players who are going to be able to give something to the club week in, week out. Because right now, in a position of Manchester United going away to Crystal Palace, a game that we should almost definitely win, but I don't fancy us. 
No, Crystal Palace will be a tough contest. Um, last game of the season, players have already switched off, like we've seen at Brighton away. Um, yeah, it, you'd hope they could be able to raise the game and you know get a result. But you know, after the Brighton result, you can see another hammering coming. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. I'm being honest, I think Crystal Palace will probably get the better of us. With the way Manchester United are playing, the attitude in the dressing room, they're clearly not responding for Ragnick. I don't see them particularly going out to give it one last big performance. I think Crystal Palace will view this as a massive opportunity. I think they'll grab it with both hands. and I think they'll beat us by a couple of goals to nil, probably. That would be my prediction. But now moving on to the other side of Manchester. And granted, they had a fantastic 5-0 win against Newcastle and they very nearly got the Premier League in the palm of their hands. But they completely collapsed in the Champions League. They were way up. And then suddenly in the 90th minute, Rodrigo bags in two. Benzema hits a penalty. That's his 43rd goal of the season. And Manchester City crash out of the Champions League. Yeah, Pep Guardiola's men fall at the final hurdle again. Um, obviously, after you know playing so well and to, 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 to go down, I think they were only behind for like four minutes in the old two legs. So you may begin to wonder what, they have to do to get to a Champions League final and win it. Obviously, like Real Madrid are a very good team. You've got the history behind them, and you could sense it as soon as Madrid got that that goal in injury time. You could you could feel the wheels starting to fall off, and it's difficult to to, to turn it round when that happens. And yeah, it's uh, it was a bit of a nightmare for for Pep and uh, and the supporters because obviously you know City fans, yeah, they have suffered through the years, but they're having a good they're having a good really good run at the moment. So I suppose it's difficult to to think about how how you can turn it around I mean is it Pep's fault or, or is it the players fault it's difficult isn't it there's so much pressure on them now and they just seem to be succumbing to it because it was it it was there for them they just had to reach out and touch it and they're in a Champions League final but the pressure got to them Rail got one and then it, it, it almost seemed destined that they were going to pull off the impossible and we're now joined by our resident Blue Paul and are you beginning to lose faith in Manchester City ever winning a Champions League now? Yeah, I like the way I'm called the resident blue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny, I was, I was out walking with my dog today and it's a big sort of road to, to Manchester City's ground where I live and I had my Salford shirt and the amount of beeps I got off City supporters shouting City out of the window thinking I was a United supporter. <laughs> but uh, that's another story. But no, I, I listened to the match on the, on the radio the other night and I wouldn't say I was losing faith in them getting to, to the final. I think... You've got to hand it to Real Madrid. They're a champion side, aren't they, as well? You know, fantastic atmosphere there. And when you've got all those sort of supporters there behind them, creating and generating that cauldron, and once they got that goal there, I think the wave of momentum, you know, went a long way to getting that second goal. And when it, the game went to extra time, you was only looking at one winner there, really. City were, were, were really behind it, weren't they? So, uh, you know, I think... You know, perhaps a team with a bit more experience in those, those sort of games. Like you think about the United side under Ferguson when they, they sort of dominated Europe, didn't they, and got that Champions League and were so good away from home and, and got the tactics right. I think with City, perhaps they've just not quite got that composure in those sort of games yet because I think an Alex Ferguson United side would have been totally different tactics there in that game. They'd have shut that game up and they'd have won that game. So sometimes perhaps you just... If there's one thing I can say about City is perhaps sometimes they lack a bit of that steel, that steely determination. You already know they can score great goals and things like that, but sometimes you need that extra bit as well, don't you? Just a bit of dig your heels and, and, and shut the door. You know, for want of a better word, pat the bus, as they say, but sometimes you just need that bit, especially away from home in Europe at places like Real Madrid. 
Yeah, most definitely. I mean, Liverpool, for example, showed that steely grit when Villarreal put the pressure on, but they were able to see it through, bag three goals and qualify for the final of the Champions League. They're going up against Real Madrid now, Rob. And do you think Liverpool have a better winner's mentality than Manchester City do? It's, it's possibility, Jay. Can I just touch on the fact that Yaya Torre's agent think that there might be some kind of voodoo curse on Man City? Do you think that's a, a thing, James? Well, I don't... I don't know what my opinion is on the paranormal, Rob. I mean, I suppose there's a there's some things going on in this world that can't be explained. And perhaps Manchester City constantly failing to win the Champions League is is a result of this voodoo curse. Yeah. Thoughts and feelings, Paul? Well, they always used to talk about that horse, didn't they? Main Road that died and got buried when they was building the ground. And that's why they had so much bad luck. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think... They've only had a couple of shots at it, really, have they, over the last few years. So, I mean, it, it does take time, does it, when you think about the remarkable change uh, you know, Manchester City's been under over the last decade or so. I mean, you're only going back sort of 20 years ago and they were really struggling, weren't they, in absolutely light years behind Manchester United. I mean, if you'd have said to me back in like, sort of 99, 2000, oh, City will be overtaking United you know, in the, in the near future, I, I'd have laughed at you because it just seemed so, so far behind them. So, um, so, yeah, but it's frustrating because I think, you know, I got pretty excited when I was listening to it on the radio. I thought, what a great final that would be, Liverpool against Manchester City, you know, an all-English final. So, disappointed we're not going to get to see that, really. But, uh, but no, there's, there's always another season and I'm pretty sure Pep will, uh, will try and, you know, put things right next year. Just let's hope these City owners don't think it's uh, the flogging of dead horse trying to get this uh, European <laughs> Cup over the line, Paul. But back to James's uh, chat about Liverpool and uh, Real Madrid fan. I think it'll be a classic. I think uh, both big European clubs, a lot of history between them. It's going to be exciting. I think I think you need a game like that to, to, to ignite uh, European football after all the uh, goings on in, in the world. And hopefully both play well. They'll be, you know, scoring lots of goals. It'll be an exciting uh, game and uh, Real Madrid will end up winning yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a great fixture. First of all, first and foremost, I suppose, Rob, uh, I'd just like to give you a massive credit on that horse pawn. I thought it was beautifully well-crafted. <laughs> but uh, in regards to the final, it's an interesting one. Obviously, Liverpool are coming in having won in a much more convincing fashion. But Real Madrid, champions of Spain, they're performing extremely well this season. And right now, they probably have the best player of the planet in Karim Benzema leading their strike force. So it's an extremely interesting game, one I'm looking forward to. But quickly going back to the Frenchman there, Rob, hmm. do you think Karen Benzema's nailed on now to win the Ballon d'Or or do you think he's still got a bit of a hurdle towards to go? Well, to get in front of Le- Le- Messi and Ronaldo, I think all being straight, he wins it. But I think with them two in the race every season, you know, it would be difficult. But it would be a, a sign of the times if he does because obviously the, the other two have dominated the uh, Ballon d'Or they, for years and years. So if... Uh, Benzema can come in and, and win it, it might signal the end for them other two, Ronaldo and Messi. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, last year, everyone was outraged that Robin Lewandowski was seemingly uh, seemingly robbed of the title. And mm. maybe somebody like a Benzema getting it is a bit of a passing of the torch. I mean, he, he is getting on a bit in terms of age himself, but most certainly younger than, than Messi and Ronaldo. And I don't like players to win it based off their status. Hmm. and based off the legend. I mean, recently we had this proposal by UEFA, didn't we, to have uh, two teams join the Champions League based on their historical achievements. So, for example, Manchester United, despite the fact they've been hopeless all season, could qualify for the Champions League. And I don't know how much we've talked about that, Rob. In my opinion, I'm not a fan of it. 
obviously you can give give your own view. But as I'm saying, I don't like these legacy things. I think it should go to who's the best player or who's the best team. Yeah, I don't like the idea of us going into the Champions League and getting spanked 4-0 uh, hmm. over at games, eight, seven games. Uh, just because we're Man United at the moment, I think uh, there'll be the frighteners being put up uh, the players, if if we are eventually selected uh, to, to to get involved in that, you should be qualifying for the Champions League because you're a good team and you're you know the best four teams in a in a country. Not because you know you've won a European Cup three times over the last hundred years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Manchester United right now aren't a good enough side, are they, to no. play in the Champions League? Are we going to stick Leeds in there as well, yeah. or perhaps Blackburn? Is this how it's going to work? It's entirely ridiculous. But a subject that I want to touch on quickly involving UEFA. I mean, we had Declan Rice over this past week, of course. West Ham crashing out of the Europa League in the semi-final stages against Eintracht Frankfurt. In the aftermath of the game, Declan Rice was in the tunnel, screaming abuse at the referee, claiming that he was corrupt. And what do you make of that sort of stance? It's terrible. But he was very polite, I thought, as well. But it is, it's not good. I, I don't think players should shout at referees. Um, I think, uh, obviously, we'll bring Paul into this. Rugby league referees, totally different. You know, total respect from the players. Uh, but Declan Rice not showing any any kind of respect to the referee there. Paul? No, no, yeah, you're right. He's you know, totally disrespectful, really. So, uh, so no, you don't like to see that in the in the sport, really, do you? So, uh, not something I like to see, and you know, should should be uh, should shouldn't be allowed, really. You know, you've, you've got to be better than that, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, talk about being better than that. Man City five 0 winners against Newcastle. James, the the wheels keep rolling towards this championship, especially because Liverpool dropped points the day before against Tottenham. Yeah, as we say, they're on the cusp of doing it now, Manchester City. I think they will. I think it's theirs to win. I don't know how much it'll mean to them, bearing in mind that the Champions League was the main target. But regardless, mm. they'll be extremely happy to have won the Premier League again. Uh, a player who's been in the news this week, Rob, Gareth Bale. He's right. looking likely to move on from Real Madrid. And he's got a few teams for options. He's got Newcastle, Tottenham. Quite bizarrely, Cardiff, who are playing in the championship right now, I never suspected that Bale would make the move there. Mm. And possibly a move to America. But where do you think is the best destination for the Welshman? I think team on the up, Newcastle. I think Gareth Bale has shown through the years that he is a class act. Uh, Father Time is catching up with him. Might give him a bit of a lease of life, a second coming. In fact, Newcastle were in uh, terrible relegation uh, trouble until Eddie Howe came in and, and turned the boat round. At the moment, they're kind of safe in mid-table. So their owners will be looking at that and, and thinking, yep, yeah, we're going to invest in the squad. And I suppose Gareth Bale will be one of the contenders, as will Jesse Lingard, as will other players who, who will become available um, to, to, to get into that top four, top five spot but they are a long way off and I think he would be a, a, a player to, to push them in the right direction James. I completely agree and another player in the news, Martial involved in this whole Manchester United clear out, it looks like they're going to pay him a fee of 30 million to leave the club and that's just ridiculous and I'll let you comment on that in a second but another Manchester story, United story uh, it's Elon Musk was trending on Twitter the other day, fans begging the Tesla owner, the world's richest man worth I think 239 billion or, or something around that sort of margin to buy Manchester United which just sort of sums up this hatred to the Glazers in the, in the period we're in at the moment Yeah, I think it's too busy trying try to buy Twitter I think that's that's what his <laughs> game is um, I, I just think you know people coming into Manchester United you need you need people who care um, and 
Elon Musk, loads of money. But has he got any affiliation to Man United? Does he know what Man United is? It might be another uh, going from bad to worse. At least the Glazers, um, you know, we know where they stand. It's all about the money for them. Um, we don't know where what Elon Musk is. is in. All, he, all he wants to do is fly spaceships and drive electric cars that I can get. So it will be interesting to see if he does go into into football and Manchester United. Um, other, I've got a story here. Paul Pogba being linked to Man City. Uh, James, what do you think of that? Would he be a good fit for, for City? He'd probably excel, wouldn't he? I mean, he's the sort <laughs> of player that Pep Guardiola likes. Uh, he passes the football beautifully well. He's not necessarily the hardest worker, but you don't really need to be. He's got that flair to his game. And I think his style of play would suit Manchester City more than it would Manchester United, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. As our resident blue, how does Paul Pogba grab you, Paul? I don't, to be honest, I don't know a right lot about the guy. Um, the only things I've ever heard of him is he's a decent player, but is he a bad apple in the changing rooms? And mm. no, just from from me, I'd probably be contradicting myself if if I thought it'd be a good fit for City because I just I think I said before about the you know in the Champions League sometimes you need that that steely determination to dig in and get yourself results in, in that competition. And would Paul Popper be one of those that goes in the trenches for you? Well, probably not really. So uh, so I don't know if he gets his head on. Yeah, but how how much are you going to get out of him? I think with a player like that, is he going to be week in, week out, really putting it in? I'm not so sure. He's more of a, for want of a better word, a show pony for me. So uh, he wouldn't be on my team sheet. But I'm not Pep Guardiola. I mean, Pep Guardiola might be able to get the best out of him. You don't know. He seems to do that with players, doesn't he? We can just see it now. Paul Pogba, Ballon d'Or winner, 2023, James. Yeah, I mean, it would be a bit depressing for Manchester United fans. I mean, he wasn't great at Manchester United in his first, but I went to Juventus, set the world, like came back and wasn't great again. So it would only make sense for him to play well for Manchester City. But the last football story I've got for you, Rob, is a Real Madrid, of course, uh, La Liga champions once again. In the midst of their trophy celebration, of course, taking this piece of silverware all around Madrid on that big team bus, parading it around, the players getting involved, lifting it aloud... The supporters get involved cheering it on as they get to see the players in the trophy up close. A few years ago, after the uh, after winning the Copa del Rey, Sergio Ramos iconically dropped the trophy and the bus <laughs> ran over it. So this year, they've taped it to the bus with a hell of a lot of gaffer tape to keep it there. Yeah. And potentially not aesthetically the best site, but I suppose it keeps it safe in the likes of Ramos and, and people like that. Safety first, James. Need to make sure the trophy gets around safely. Um, I suppose the uh, ironmongers would have a job trying to restructure it after it's uh, been over by a, a double-decker bus, Paul. Say that again, Rob, sorry. I say the trophy would have to be uh, taken to an ironmongers and reshaped after being run off, run over by a double-decker bus. Yeah, so is it, is it quite a big trophy, that, as well, from what I can remember? It's... It's a bigger than that, isn't it, in Spain? It bounced. Sure it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. well, like that landed on my head for no, the uh, no. open-top bus. It's all these all these footballers, you see. They get excited, start waving the trophy around and then sudden <laughs> jolt on the bus and then suddenly trophy's on the floor and you've speed bumped over it. Animals, Rob. Animals. <laughs> Animals. <laughs> Let's talk about our other football team now, James. Open City FC, final game of the season for them. Uh, this week uh, they lost four two to Stevenage. Uh, they drew two two to Man drew two all with Mansfield uh, on the Monday. 
uh, which basically uh, made them not qualify for the playoffs. They finished 10th uh, in, in the league. Gary Bowyer's men, obviously disappointed, wanted to <clears throat> the playoffs, but will have to wait for another opportunity next year. Yeah, over the last couple of months or so, we've we've got a bit of momentum, haven't we, with Salford? And it's looked like, could they? Could they? Could they? Oh, they are. They are going to make the playoffs. And it doesn't quite work out in the final two games of the season. Obviously, a loss and a draw. But over the last couple of months, they can take a lot of inspiration from that, a lot of hope from that. And the fact that if they can play like that throughout the entire season next campaign... They've got every chance of getting into the playoffs. I mean, they didn't start brilliantly, did they, this season? It took a while for them to get going, to adapt to the new league. But next year, they're going in, they know exactly what's in store, and I think they'll play a lot better. So I've got a lot of hope for Salford going into next season. Yeah, seven points off the playoffs, Paul. Building for next year, obviously not moving to the AJ Bell, gives opportunity to get the club fired up and ready for that big move. Yeah, I've said it before. It does take a while to adapt to to you know to the, the sort of league too. It's a very very tough league, and I think they've adapted to it well. And you know they've consolidated in there now. And I think next season they can really kick on. I mean, towards the end of the season they've they put a bit of a decent run together and, and, and settled it down a bit. But I think next season could be the, could be the season to really go for it and go for that promotion. So uh, so I don't see any problem with Salford next season. I think they'll be one of the one of the favourites and you know get some signings in a couple of signings. I don't think they need much. They've got a decent squad there, haven't they? So uh, you know one or two players coming in and they can have a real push for uh, push for promotion next season. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and we'll be obviously looking at it and talking about it on the Sports Zone. Every week through the season, hopefully, we'll be celebrating another promotion for our local side. Let's talk ice hockey now, James. Yeah, we are going to talk ice hockey, Rob. And Manchester Storm have announced the new coach. How excited are you? Oh, super excited. Caught it last week on the Sports Zone. Matt Ginn, new head coach of Manchester Storm, ex-netminder, top-class player, been doing a bit of coaching in the off-season. He coached Lindsay... Musketeers, which were his junior club, uh, in the in the uh, throughout the season as well. So he's he's had that experience as being the main man um, at a club. So it's a big step up. It has to be said, but he has the DNA. He's been at Manchester for a couple of years. He knows what it's all about. Wearing that uh, sort of purple and black shirt, and I'm sure he'll be fired up to produce good performances uh, and possibly a trophy for the Storm Storm faithful. Yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of momentum going into next season. I mean, they've been signing players, re-signing players, should I say. Mm. Who have they signed back up? Yeah, been busy with the old checkbook. Has Matt, uh, Jamie Downey, a goalkeeper. He's come back, good goalkeeper. I think every, every good side needs a solid goalkeeper. Ben Soldier, Harry Gulliver, uh, Finley Ulrich. I've uh, also re-signed both two defenders and a forward there. Jacob Lusick, uh, Joe Martinez and Dallas Earhart have all signed uh, on the dotted line. He's slowly putting a squad together, but it's only early doors. Season's only only just finished. So I'm sure he'll be out there with his scouts looking to Canada and North America and in the European leagues to, to pick up some more players because I think he wants to play a different style of play. And that's important for obviously Manchester Storm because I've always said they, they lack a bit of a goal score. They've had, they've had they've had a couple of you know people involved this year that are bagged, but in the main they don't score enough goals. And if you got the defence is leaky, you, you end up losing games. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. And there's been a massive match in the world of ice hockey this week. Talk us through the grand final. Yeah, Cardiff Devils successfully uh, are now champions of the uh, European Ice Hockey League. They beat 
Card, uh, they beat Belfast, sorry, six uh, three, um, which was which was great in Nottingham. Big crowd. I think they were. Dis- I think I say a big crowd, but I think they were quite disappointed that it wasn't a full house. But it kind of shows that how far that the ISOC has come. That you know they've been able to get a decent crowd in there. Uh, you're just hoping that the organisers look at that uh, the pay structure. I think it was something like seventy five quid for a ticket. Uh, I know there was what was it four six games, uh, which is which is a lot of games, but still. It's you know that kind of money. It needs to be dropped. Any sport you're paying that kind of money, uh, you're punishing the fans for me. So hopefully, I'm sure the the authorities will be looking at that and thinking next season when Red Storm get there, uh, we'll all be paying a tenner and we'll get a full house. Yeah, couldn't agree more, Rob. Get the fans in, get them wanting to go to the games and get them to adore the club even more. But big news as well, because GB have been in action over the course of the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Great Britain ice hockey. Two games this week. Played Denmark, um, lost 8-0 uh, and lost 2-0. So, yeah, Denmark are the third-ranked uh, European le- European team. Great Britain, uh, I think it's 10th. So there is a gap in quality. Um, and it's all about closing the gap. I know... You know, we talk about Manchester Storm and, and the, you know, the good players that they've got coming through, uh, like Halle Gulliver. He's, he's a, a sort of a Great Britain uh, international. So you're hoping, obviously, the experience that they gain can help Great Britain uh, and we'll close that gap uh, between us and Denmark. Most certainly. We'll be discussing everything ice hockey again this time next week. But for now, we're going to move on to the world of rugby and I'm going to throw it back to you, Rob. Yes, let's talk rugby league now uh, with Paul. Challenge Cup uh, weekend, uh, Paul. Wigan and Huddersfield victorious. Uh, talk us through both semis. Oh, two great games, Rob. Yeah, um, I sat down and watched them on, on Saturday afternoon and really, really enjoyed them. You know, the Wigan game against St. Helens. Wigan stormed into it to a lead there, 14-0, and were totally on top. Know a few St. Helens players, I think Johnny Lomax is probably carrying a bit of an injury and Christian Wolfe may have took a bit of a gamble on him. But what about the comeback? St. Helens in the second half went from 14-0 down, going front at 18-14. Then they're attacking, chuck a loose pass out and Liam Marshall goes, what, 60 metres and scores to win the game for Wigan. So absolutely fantastic game. Really was ebbed and flowed, you know, one way to the other. And they're just about on going on the end there. Huddersfield Giants in the in the second game, I thought, were absolutely fantastic against Ulkar. I don't think Hulkingston Rovers were at, were at their best. I mean, Tony Smith, their coach, admitted that. But Huddersfield had a game plan there and they were so professional and so thorough. Everything they did, Ian Watson absolutely nailed it. And we know Watto as a coach, he, he can coach, can't he? He knows, he knows how to do a game plan and... And he sorted that. And I was very, very pleased for him. I was pleased for Huddersfield to get through. I was pleased for Wigan as well. You know, Matty Pete, their coach, is a new coach, youngest coach in the league at 37. And, you know, he, he seems a really nice fella as well. You know, we're always very honest when we've, we've seen him in uh, press conferences and that. So I'm, I'm glad he's got to Wembley. And I'm glad it's Huddersfield as well because, uh, you know, it, hopefully, a new, I'd like to see Huddersfield go on and win it now. I think a new name on the cup, it, you know, it gets uh, gets in, generates interest. And uh, I enjoyed the semi finals. I thought the coverage on BBC was fantastic as well. And, uh, you know, really, really great, great sort of weekend of sport. I watched the, the Ladies Challenge Cup final, saw a bit of that as well. That was exciting. A good comeback win for St. Helens. So it was a, a real top day out. It looked at Ellen Road on, on, on Saturday for the, uh, for the Challenge Cup. Yeah, 23,000 in attendance, Paul, uh, for all three games. A record uh, attendance for the Women's Challenge Cup of 5,888. Was it a good idea to have a triple header um, at Leeds? 
Yeah, no, I think I've seen a lot of stuff on the, on the internet. I mean, you'll always get negativity, won't you, about people moaning about crowds and things like that. But it's up to the supporters to turn up and go. I mean, I sometimes think perhaps St. Helens and Wigan supporters, you know, they've had that much success and perhaps it doesn't mean a right lot to them and they don't they just don't bother turning up and watching it on the telly. I think I think sometimes there's quite a lot in that really. I mean, Ulkings are always took a lot of supporters because they're a club a bit like Salford, not had loads and loads of success. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think you can ever say rugby league's not value for money. I mean, you got three games there. I don't think the tickets were, were that expensive. I was hoping to go myself, but I was I had a few things on with the family at weekend, so I couldn't. But I'd have loved to have gone to that. I'm sure it'd have been a great day out. So I think sometimes we rugby league's about to moan about stuff, but it's like the the, the challenge cup final. I think the, the tickets for that are a phenomenal value. Really, when you compare it to football and things like that, we've got a very very value for money sport. So I'm not sure what the answer is, though. I'm not sure how you how you get bigger crowds and that. I, I, I don't know. I think sometimes it's the mentality of the supporters. They they just don't seem to turn up for the games. But it's a great product and, and a very exciting game. So it's a, it's the million dollar question, really, why people don't go. Yeah, I, I think they need another cup competition. I think with you know the the, top, the Challenge Cup and and the Super League, it's always the same clubs involved in that. And I think you get winners fatigue that you know okay, we're at another Challenge Cup final. You know what? We'll go next time they get there. And it's it, is, it does feel a bit like that to me because obviously when you get teams like us and all Kingston Rovers who get a sniff of half a chance of getting there, the whole city turns up. So is it is it possible, do you think, either for a new competition that are kind of aimed at them kind of middle-range middle, middle range clubs to give them a shot at glory, or do they have to rejig the Challenge Cup to, to give the, the middle clubs a chance? Yeah, well, I think that's what what more that's my point was there about about these sides that win it a lot. It doesn't seem to mean as much to those supporters. No. If you're a Wigan or a Sailor supporter, it's sort of um, everyday stuff for you. It's like having Christmas Day nearly every you know ten times a year. Whereas with Salford support, you have Christmas Day once every thirty years, don't you? When we <laughs> get to something, so so yeah, I do get your point. But on the other hand, if you had a, a competition for like the middle of the 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 league or whatever, does it mean as much? Because to me, if you're going to go and win a Challenge Cup, you want it to be glorious, don't you? You want to go and beat Wigan or St. Helens in the final. If it was just for a certain select bunch of teams, would that not take a bit of shine off that competition? I mean, we have the, the 1895 Cup now, don't we, for the you know for the championship size and the lower league size. I mean, Lee and Featherston have got through to the final of that. That, that sure will be a cracking game. But is there a lot on that, really? Because it's not involving the top size. I mean, I'd love to see the Challenge Cup revamped where, you know, the, the, the Super League sides come in a bit earlier, really, and play some of the championships. I know there'll probably be some big scores, but I think that you've got that magic of the Cup then. Because at the at the moment, it, when Salford came in, you're only playing three matches to, to get to the final, really. So it, it does seem... I think when we entered the Cup, I think there was only four non-Super League sides in it then. In the twelve Super League side, so I don't know that that magic's not there for me anymore with the cup. Sometimes it was a great competition. It really is all the history that's with it. I think it just needs revamping a bit slightly. But I'd love to see the county cups come back, Rob. I've said that many a time on the podcast. I'd love so you know the Lancashire Cup, something I grew up with as, as a kid watching Salford went to two two finals with my dad, eighty eight and ninety, and, and we lost them both, but we came really close. And I, I used to love the the Lancashire Cup, really did. You're playing your local rivals. 
you know, and it really is a good competition. You've got the Yorks Cup as well for the Yorkshire teams. And, you know, you get you get a good draw. Say we can draw St. Helens in the first round. Then you've got a chance of getting through to the to the final of that and having a really good goal. So I'd love to see them come back. I think they were a great success when we used to have them. Yeah. Let's talk about our, uh, one of our local sides, Swinton Lions. They were in action against London Scholars and won 58 points to 14 uh, this weekend at home. Paul, good result uh, for them. Yeah, it certainly was. On my little accumulator that I do on uh, on Facebook, I backed Mike Butt to score and he didn't score today. <laughs> <laughs> That's twice I've backed him this season. He's not scored because he normally always scores. So, But no, it's good to see, you know, all serious, it's good to see Swinton get back, you know, to winning ways. He'd had a, a tough time, hadn't he, with a defeat against North Wales. I mean, that's no mean feat, that defeat against North Wales. As we said the other week, North Wales Crusaders have had another good win at weekend. They won 46-0 away at Doncaster. So I think North Wales are the dark horses for that, that League One. They look in really good shape, aren't they? And Rochdale Hornets had a good win as well. So that league is really hotting up now. You know, there's going to be some... You've got like four or five sides in there that could be could be going for that that title, really. So good to see Swinton get back to winning ways, though. And it was a, you know, a good result for them at the weekend. Yeah, Alan Colan's men, obviously, after two defeats, like you said, back to winning ways. They've got Hunslet away this weekend. Uh, what do you think there? Tough place to go. Hunslet's a tough place to go. South Leeds State have been there a few times with Salford and they've got probably the best, one of the best stands in rugby league, aren't they? That really high sort of stand they've got there in that athletics pitch. I like going there. Good good uh, ground to go to. So, But a tough place to go. You know, Hunslet have probably not had the best start to the season. Uh, I think they were favoured to, to be up there as well. So Swinton will be looking at, uh, to taking points from that game. They've got to approach every game to win, Rob. If you want to win that 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 championship, you've got to be consistent and you've got to you've got to win a lot of games, haven't you, to, to, to win that league. So, you know, Swinton are one of the favourites and they've just got to keep that going now. They've got a nice week off, haven't they, to prepare for it. I'm sure they'll uh, they'll do the business at Hunslet. I think it's a big game for them, but it's one they can win. Yeah. Let's talk about our ladies' sides uh, Salford Red Devils ladies beat Dewsbury 28 points to 16 this weekend. Two tries from Steph Gray, two tries from Laura Ellison, one try from Alex Simpson and three from five goals from Demi Jones. Puts uh, Chris Bates ladies two from two in the league. Yeah, good start. Really good start to the season. And uh, that game was played. Was it Salford City Roosters? That game yep. was it Caddy's Earth? But it's Salford Roosters, yeah. So I'm sure it was a, you know, it's a great, um, a great sort of place down there and a great to, for rugby league, great clubhouse on that. And I'm sure they had a great day down there today. Weather was decent as well. But no, it's good to get two wins from two. It's been a really good start, really solid start to the season. And that was a tough test at the weekend uh, against Dewsbury. Was it going to be a difficult game that they're quite an established team, aren't they? So great to get two for two and a great start. Yeah, and they've got Alton Radets in the League Cup quarterfinals. Um, you know, they've, they've, they're in good form. They're scoring good tries. Uh, anything can happen in this League Cup. We, we could uh, get through to a semi. Yeah, that's right. I'm pretty sure they did. They play Alton Radets in the in the nines competition. They did. I'm sure. I'm sure they beat them in that. So yeah, they'll they be buoyed by that. Yeah, they'll be buoyed by that, and that's going to give them confidence. So, uh, so yeah, that's another big fixture. But yeah, it's just one game at a time now, isn't it? The more games that they win. You know, the the more confidence is going to build. So you just got to keep approaching it. You know, doing the training in the week and just preparing for each game, and uh, and that's that's how things are going at the moment. I think confidence breeds confidence, and you know, they're scoring tries and uh, converting the chances, aren't they? And it's you know, playing some good rugby along the way as well. Yep, Swinton Lionesses they beat Ealingworth twenty points to ten. Tries for Rebecca Roden, uh, Chloe Burkett, and Ellie Thickell uh, gives the Blues a good win there. 
Yeah, certainly does, certainly does, and both of them at the moment flying the flag, aren't they, around uh, the Greater Manchester area, both Swinton and Salford, so good to see them both doing well, and uh, I'm sure it won't be too long before Salford and Swinton uh, ladies are pitting their wits against each other again, these things sort of tend to happen, don't they, in cup competitions and things like that, so I'm sure the draw will you know, throw something up like that, but no, great to see them both getting good results for us. Yeah, uh, the men Salford Red Devils main men's team back in action this week at the AJ Bill. They face Leeds Rhinos. Leeds new coaching, looking for that new coach bounce opportunity for Paul Rowley to pick up points. This is a big game for Salford. It is a very big game. You know, we've we've gone to to Wigan and St Helens and probably could have won both matches really, um, it, but come up short and given off a lot. But we've won one one in ten, I think it is now in all competitions. So. That is, is poor form. It really is poor form. So we need to halt that. And we've got two games at home now against Leeds and Casford. I mean, defeat's unthinkable, really, Rob. I mean, you can't afford to lose these two games. We've got to start winning. So, like you said, Leeds have got a new coach. You know, the Zach Hardik has signed for them as well. So, And they've they've done pretty well out of the last five. I think they've won two and drawn one and run Castleford close. So their form's improved. So, uh, so yeah, we need to... Uh, we need to be on the on the money on Sunday because I think you're going to see a different Leeds Rhino side to the one that we beat about two months ago. It will be a big task for Paul Rowley's men. Obviously, with injuries biting, you say these two games are crucial. Um, that'll be a big factor won't it, with what bodies he's got left. Yeah, it certainly will. It's how he manages that now. I mean, after the uh, after the St. Helens game, we've lost Reese Williams. Uh, to injury and Alex Gerrard as well so I don't think those two guys are going to play um, at, the, at the weekend so that's two more to the, to the list of a, of a squad that's already been really hard hit by injuries so you think about a side like Leeds Rhinos they've got a probably a much bigger squad than ours and an academy and a youth system to dip into as well. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're going to be tough to beat. They've gone above us in the league table now as well. So it's vitally important that we peg them back and, uh, and start moving up that table. But it's going to be a tough test. There's no doubt about that. I think they're coming with a bit of a spring in their step. You know, the, the confidence is up now because they had a torrid time at the start of the season, didn't they? And I think they're just starting to... Turn the corner, really, which is unfortunate for us. But I think, as a Salford support and you know the the players and the coaching staff, I think we've not got to worry about what Leeds are doing. We've got to worry about ourselves, really. If we've got the same sort of desire and resilience that we had in the Wigan and St. Helens game, I think we can beat Leeds. There's no problem about that. Yeah, it's going to be a big contest. Hopefully, Paul Rowley's men can pick up the two points and start looking up rather than down. So that's all the rugby league chat. And now we're talking boxing with James. We are, Rob, and there's only one place to start because the pound-for-pound king, the biggest draw in boxing, Canelo Alvarez, has been defeated. Dimitri Bivol, the WBA light heavyweight champion of the world, so incredibly underestimated going into this fight, but he was absolutely punch perfect. His jabs were on point. His combinations looked slicked. He went to body and head and absolutely dismantled Canelo Alvarez in a breakout performance. He certainly did, and I'm pretty sure you, you. I don't know whether you called that, James, but I remember you saying you've told me about Bivol over the last few years, and I know you've been very excited by him and the way he boxes. So, uh, so I wasn't quite expecting that as unanimous as that. But like you said, it was a bit of a demolition job, really, wasn't it? A bit of a, a bit of a schooling for for somebody like Canelo, who is such a a big name in boxing, such a great fighter. So I mean, it's, we're, we're talking about somebody special here, aren't we? And, are we seeing a bit of a change under the guard, really? I'm not too sure, but a great performance. Like you said, a very slick puncher, a crisp and clean jab. I mean, yeah, very, very impressed. I think that's made people to sit up and take note. If you've not heard of Bibble, they have now. 
They most certainly have, Paul. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people complaining about the height and the reach and saying, was this a weight class too far? Canelo Alvarez a couple of years back beat Sergei Kovalev to prove that he can compete with the best in the division. For me, Dmitry Bivol was just too good. Yeah, I think I think sometimes you, you, you've got to admit when you, you're beaten by the better fighter, haven't you? And I thought, you know, from what I've seen of it, Bivol was the better man. And and you, you've got to admit that sometimes. I mean, you can make as many excuses as you want, can't you? But at the end of the day, you're there to be shot at when you're somebody like Canelo, aren't you? And every fight and every punch and every round that you're in, the microscope's on you, isn't it? And um, I think just hats off to Bill. I think he's got his preparations and his, his game plan was absolutely perfect, wasn't it? I mean, you won't look at that fight and say Canelo you know, was, was awful. I don't think he was. I think he was just beaten by, by a better man who... who who punched better? He, his tactics were perfect. Like we said, his jab was good. He was very, very slick, very quick. You know, very hard to it, and and just a just a really a punch perfect performance, really. So, uh, so you can't really argue with that, I don't think. Yeah, and to put his demolition job into perspective, I personally had it ten two to Dimitri Bivol. Some people had it had Canelo winning three rounds. Some had him only winning one round. But either way, it was a pretty definitive performance from the Russian. But at the end of the fight, the nerves creep in. Where we should be thinking it's a foregone conclusion, Bivol will have his hands raised. Because of how boxing is, we just don't know, do we? If <laughs> Bivol's going to get his moment. And then the scores are announced, and it's not 10-2. It's 7-5. And there's a horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach where, oh, they're going to rob Bivol here. Luckily, they didn't. The right man had his hand raised. But those scorecards, far too close for comfort. And they were 5-5 going into the last two rounds. And had the judges, and had Bivon absolutely ran right in those last two rounds, he would have got robbed. Yeah, they were they were close again. And you do sometimes wonder what what they've been watching. Have they been to the toilet and missed three rounds? It's, uh, it is very, very strange what they see. And I know... Sometimes you can watch a fight and then you can go and watch it again and you can see different things and you think a lot of it depends on your opinion and what you like and what you don't like. But for me, you should, you should, you know, I think you know when somebody's won and when somebody hasn't. Your instinct tells you, doesn't you? Can just tell. And and like you said, some of those those rounds were very very close for comfort. And yeah, if he'd have had a bad round there late on, Bibble, he might have lost that fighting off a off a dodgy card. So. It does. I think. I think for me now, every time I watch boxing on television or I go to boxing, if a fight goes to the the, the judges' scorecards, you are sort of out in mouth time, aren't you? Thinking what sort of lottery is going to come up here? So, so yeah. But no, I'm pleased for him. I'm glad. I'm glad the decision was right. And you know, we've had far too many over the last sort of couple of years, haven't we? Where it has gone to the scorecards, and it's it, it just makes a bit of a mockery of the sport. It makes the sport a bit of a laughing stock sometimes, really, doesn't it? So, I'm I'm pleased it was the right decision, and the right man won. And now there's the question of both men go from here. Canelo Alvarez has a rematch clause. He's saying he's going to take this. Uh, for me, I don't necessarily want to see it again. I thought it was definitive enough for there not to be any need for a rematch. Uh, where, which direction would you like to see both men going? I know prior to this fight, Canelo had agreed a fight with Golovkin. Uh, Bivol has options. I mean, he could take on the Joe Smith Jr. Artur Baturbiev winner. I mean, that's a cracking fight in itself. And then every single belt would be on the line. But where do the two men go next? No, I like what you, the one you said there. Yeah, about the belts being on the line. I think that'd be a cracking fight. I think it, it, it's up to Bibble, really. I think. I mean, I know he's, is there a clause involved so that if there is, but like you said, 
with it being as unanimous as it was, what's he got to prove fighting fighting Canelo again? Uh, you know, it'd be a good fight to have again. Um, and it's one of those that's going to sell a lot of tickets and, and, and get an awful lot of media attention and, and the attention of the world. So if it was to happen again, but I don't know, I think if I... If, if I was Bill, I think I'd, I'd move on from it. Now you, you've done, you've done that. You, you've, you've got that job done. Um, why, why go through that again? You've nothing to prove. You want it unanimously. So, be interesting to see which way they go. But there's, there's big fights out there for both of them. They're both class operators, aren't they? Top of the game, you know, in prime and peak of their career. So, uh, so yeah, I think for Bill, the world's his oyster. Really, now he's, 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 he's got it all to go for. You know, go and get them belts while you can. Interesting little story. Floyd Mayweather posted onto social media that he won 50 grand worth in bets from a Canelo Alvarez defeat against Dimitri Bivol. All that makes me think is I wonder how many times Floyd Mayweather has placed bets for Canelo Alvarez to lose and they've not come in. Hmm. <laughs> 50, 50 grand to, uh, to, to him is not, not, it's a small change, I think, anyway, isn't it? I don't think he, he has to worry about that. But no, it, it, it's a strange story, that really, I thought. Yeah, most certainly. But another big story that's broken the world of boxing this week, there was talks of Conor Ben, there was talks of Chris Eubank Jr., but Kel Brook has gone out on the highest of highs off the back of a win against Amir Khan, and you couldn't write it any better for him, could you? No, I think he's made the right decision, to be honest with you. Um, we all would have liked to have probably seen the, the, the Conor Ben fight but, and things like that. But I don't know, when, once you get to 36, you, you, you've done the business, you've been a been a champion and, and never ducked anybody, been in some great fights. What else have you got to prove there, really? What is the point in him going fighting, you know, a, a young up-and-coming star like Conor Ben? There, there's nothing to fight for, really, there. You're just being sort of a gatekeeper, aren't you, for somebody coming through. So I think, yeah, he's made the right decision. When you're on top like that and you, you have such a, a good career and then, You've got two blokes of the same age. You fight it out. You win that. Yeah, you, you, you're done. I think he's done the done the right decision. I really do. And let Conor Ben move on and, and make his own way. And, and same with, with Chris Eubank Jr. Let them make their own legacy. For me, Kel Brooks made his legacy and been a top fighter and, uh, and deserves an happy retirement now. And what else, whatever he decides to go on and do. When we look back, Kel Brooks' legacy, it's an interesting one because he won a world title in America against Sean Porter. He's then produced this incredible performance to win the ultimate grudge match in one of the biggest fights in British boxing history. But for me, there's still this feeling of what if. With his level of talent, could he have done a bit more? If he hadn't been steered in the wrong direction against Golovkin and Spence, had he fought the likes of Jesse Vargas in that unification, what could have been for Brock? I think you'll always have that with, with, with fighters, James particularly fighters at that that elite level. I, I do get what you're saying about Kelbrook. I think I'm with the same mindset of you, mate. Um, I thought once he got that world title, he, he'd go on and, and really unify it. And, and he didn't. He seemed to, to, to drift a, a bit of a different way. He'd been in some tough fights. So, and, and I don't know... Did he get found out a bit? I'm not so sure. I, I always thought he was a really terrific fighter and he belonged at that elite level. But, he, you know, the, his losses were against real class fighters, weren't they? So I don't think we'll ever know, really. But I wouldn't take anything away from him. I think he, he has been a been a top fighter. But I do get that little sort of... Yeah, I get what you're saying there when you say that. But, yeah, I don't suppose we'll ever know. I don't suppose we'll ever know. But I, I was. it was nice to see him win that fight against Khan. Not that I've got anything against Amir Khan. I think he's another terrific fighter. And, you know, is he going to step down? No, I'm not too sure. But I think Kel's made the right decision. 
Looking forward to this weekend, a couple of big fights. In France, Martin Bacoli is travelling across the channel to take on Tony Yoka in a good heavyweight fight. Yoka needing to prove himself after winning that Olympic gold medal. And on the other side of the Atlantic, uh, a unification fight for every single belt in the Super Welterweight division. We've got Charlo versus Castano. Most people thought Castano won the first fight, but a couple of good fights for fans to get the teeth stuck into for this weekend. Yeah, there certainly is. Yeah, they're coming thick and fast, aren't we? I think we've got a tournament in Manchester at the Victoria Warehouse as well. The um, Cruiserweights, isn't it? The um, the Boxer Tournament, I'm sure that's this this coming Saturday on the 14th. So that, that'll be another good tournament as well to watch if you've, if you've got it on the television. So there's some really good stuff on at the moment. There's every weekend there's there's a fight night. So I'm sure there's some boxing on Channel 5 on Friday night as well. I can't remember who's on. But, you know, check your, your schedules because if you're boxing buffs like us, there's, there's always something you can get stuck into and get your teeth into. Couple of domestic uh, stories now, Paul. Demetrius Andrade versus Zach Parker was meant to be going at Derby County Stadium, but the American has pulled out, which has left fans a little bit gutted. And Paul Butler, who would have thought it all those years ago when he was winning world titles against Stewie Hall at the Newcastle Arena and then getting cleaned up by Zalatni Tete, that he bounced back to win a world championship. He's now been elevated to the full WBO bantamweight champion of the world after a great performance against Jonas Sultan. Yeah, some some good well, two stories there that you know the Andrade one that that's that's hard lines for for, for Parker, isn't it? I mean that would have been great Derby County there at their, their stadium, Pride Park where they play massive stadium there that would have been great to see, but we're not going to get to see that at the moment. But hopefully that would 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 get made again. We'll, we'll have to see Butler as well. Yeah, been uh, been a great uh, boxer over the years, hasn't he? And, uh, yeah, I remember that that fight in Newcastle. That well, that was. Uh, Bit of a war, wasn't it, uh, all that time ago? So, uh, so yeah, some some good stuff there, mate. With one minute left on the clock, Paul, the last question of the day for you. Daniel Dubois has had his fight confirmed with Trevor Brain in Florida. Will be promoted by Dunking. A bit of a weird one. It seems strange that Dubois is officially fighting for a WBA World Championship, albeit a regular title. Yeah, wish him all the luck in the world, don't we? You know, let's hope he, he goes on and, and, and does the business there. You know, Don King promoting as well. It's a bit of a blast from the past there. But I'm sure I'm sure Dubois will, will do the business. He's a very, very talented boxer and let's hope he gets the win. Yeah, certainly one we're all looking forward to. And there's so much coming up in the world of sport. But that's all we've got time for this week. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>